All right, sweethearts, you heard the man and you know the drill, assholes and elbows. Welcome to Your Pick, a film podcast. I'm Tatum. And I'm Geneva. We are two friends who love movies and love sharing them with each other. Each week, we take turns picking a film that is close to our hearts and talk about why it moves us, to tears, to laughter, and everything in between. We celebrate the craft of filmmaking as well as the unique and personal ways we find meaning in the movies we watch. We are back. The audience does not know this, but we have not recorded in several weeks. Almost a weeks. month. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's been. Think it has been almost a month. Yeah, it's been a mm-hmm. while. Um, so happy to be back. Um, yeah, I've missed it. Yeah, me, honestly, me too. Um, so do you want to catch us up on anything you've been watching? Oh, Tatum, I have been watching so many things. <laughs> I know. I've been watching your letter. I've been looking at your letterbox because I've been like dying at work. And I look mm-hmm. at letterbox and every day it's like, oh, Geneva got to watch Aww. another thing. When will I get to watch something? I want to watch something. <laughs> Funny thing is, I don't even feel like I've been watching as much recently because I've actually been getting really, I've been getting back into reading, which has been really nice. Oh, cool. Um, and, uh, So that's, that's been really nice. Um, But yeah, I have been trying filling in some some gaps in my film watching uh experience which has been really really nice so a couple highlights uh i watched a film noir called in a lonely place from 1950 starring humphrey bogart and gloria graham highly highly recommend i have not been able to stop thinking about this movie ever since i watched it it is humphrey bogart at his most sort of conflicted and miserable and scummy and unlikable and he is absolutely magnetic as as he always is but in particular Gloria Graham um who's an actress who did a lot of film noir um and I had not seen her in very many things before she she was in Oklahoma even though she cannot sing <laughs> which was, did not favorably impress me before but she is so fantastic in in a lonely place playing this really interesting dynamic kind of self-possessed woman who finds herself in a really difficult impossible situation um and yeah i i highly recommend this movie um basically it's about a screenwriter played by humphrey bogart who is uh, accused of killing a woman and um his next door neighbor played by gloria graham gives him an alibi uh she knows he didn't do it and the two of them then start dating. But as their relationship progresses, she starts to see how Humphrey Bogart actually has this really, really nasty streak and this anger problem that he refuses to get under control. And she starts to really fear for her own safety. And she starts to wonder if maybe he actually did do the murder after all. And I won't reveal how it ends up, but it's, yeah, really, really great movie. Um... And then on a very different (laughs) note, (laughs) so this is not a first time watch. This was a rewatch, but one of my family's favorite go-to comedies is Wayne's World from 1992. Geneva, you sent me so many snaps of Wayne's World. I had not seen, I had not rewatched this movie in a while. Geneva sent me like four different snaps that were all like two minutes long. (laughs) 
holds up. It is a very, I will not say it will work for everyone because it's a very particular style of humor, but it really works for me. I love Wayne's World. It is so stupid, but so funny. <laughs> and then last but not least, uh, last night I watched the silent film Wings uh, for the first time, which won the very first be- Best Picture uh, Oscar, uh, the very first time that the Oscars were held. Wow, what a movie. <laughs> I was kind of, I I mean, I, I love silent film. Um, I always have. I, I have seen quite a few of them, and I was just absolutely bowled over by the things that they were doing in this film. It is, it's a long movie. It, it kind of makes me think of the, the modern day action epics, you know, your John Wick 4s, your Mission Impossible fallouts where it's around two and a half hours, but it is so well paced. It is exciting. There are shots of planes that, and people flying in them that are, I mean, it's basically Top Gun Maverick, but made in 1927 without sound. It is incredible. And the story that it tells is, it's very, it's simple, but it really, really works. It's very um, engaging and emotional. I was weeping at the end. Um, It is, yeah, it's just, it's a masterpiece. It really is. And I... I was just thinking about what a great year for cinema 1927 was, (laughs) because that year Wings came out, but that is also the year that Metropolis was made, which is one of the greatest sci-fi movies ever made. Um, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, which is one of the most beautiful and stirring romantic dramas ever made. Um, that is also the year of Alfred Hitchcock's The Lodger, which is a great thriller. That's the year of Clara Bow's It, which is a very sweet little rom-com. Just what a great movie <laughs> for movies. And yeah, I, I, I highly recommend checking it out if you have any interest in war movies, action movies, um, silent cinema. I, th- I think it would be a, it is a bit long, but I think it would be a great entryway into silent cinema. Um, if that's not really been your thing before um so yeah wings highly recommend i wonder how much of that year being such a such an epic year in terms of movies i wonder how much that has to do with the fact that this is when movies were kind of just becoming a real popular thing and so there wasn't you know decades of movies to rip off and copy it was kind of like (laughs) no we're we're coming up with I mean, not new concepts because stories have mm-hmm. been told for thousands of years, but in this medium. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point, the Hollywood industry was maybe two decades old at this point. You know, the movie making had been a thing since the 18 I mean, film technology was invented, what, 1880s, 1890s, mm-hmm. something like that. But the idea of a feature length movie had only really been a thing for maybe 15, 20 years at that point, um, if that. So yeah, everything is still kind of fresh to a certain extent. And it's also crazy to consider, too, 1927, that is the year that the the jazz singer came out. So that is basically the last year of silent cinema. Everything mm-hmm. after that is transitioning into um, sound cinema, in which case film language basically had to be reinvented to account for you know, heavy microphones that needed to follow the actors and... Um, that really limited the amount of um, film movement that you could do, the amount of different angles that you could take, the ability to um, move the camera around and follow and capture different things, different angles. So um, movies made in the few years after that, sorry, I just watched, (laughs) I just watched a YouTube video on this recently, and I was just thinking about this rewatching Wings. Um, 
films made the few years after that are it, it's like the film the form kind of regressed for a few years until the technology caught up again because of how monumental how much uh sound changed so it took you know five ten years for for the the technology to kind of progress to the point it had been before sound entered the picture anyway sorry my my little nerdy <laughs> nerdy film history rant over yeah i i'm literally going to I think I'm going to choose this movie to discuss soon because I'm just going to force you to watch it. Ooh. But we need, you need to see Babylon. I, I really, really oh, yes. <laughs> want to hear your thoughts on Babylon. And I feel like you won't watch it unless I put it on mm-hmm. this podcast list for us to watch. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I will say I'm seeing more and more people on Twitter who agree with you and say Babylon was great. And it's a good freaking movie. <laughs> like people are, I don't, I still don't understand the criticisms, but we'll save that conversation for another day. Um, yeah. there are certain scenes that I've heard about Babylon that I'm really, really excited to see. It's just more, the fact that it's two and a half hours long and there are stuff around those scenes that I'm a little bit more ambivalent about, but who knows? Maybe I'll like it. Maybe I'll like it. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's why you need to watch it and why we need to talk about it. Um, I, I also wanted to ask like super, super briefly, we don't need to go super in depth on this, but I mm. saw that you watched eyes wide shut. I was wondering if you were going to ask about one this. of yes, my favorite Stanley Kubrick films. That I feel like, is very underrated. A lot of people mm-hmm. just remember it as an orgy movie, which is why I didn't watch it for a long time because I was like, ugh, I don't want to watch an orgy movie. And then I finally watched it because I'm obsessed with Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick and wanted to watch all of his movies. And I finished it and I was like, people are f- like flipping sleeping on this movie. This is one <laughs> of the best movies it's- I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so I saw that you rated it very highly, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to let you know, I saw that you saw it. I'm very <laughs> glad that you saw it and that you liked it. And we will talk about it on this podcast at some point. <laughs> I would love to. Yes. I loved Eyes Wide Shut. I thought it was fantastic. There were, I will say the proportion of female nudity to male nudity uh, could have been better <laughs> for me. <laughs> um but I mean that that's partially thematic, maybe partially the fact that you it is being made by a male director. But um regardless, it's a fantastic movie. And um yeah, I, I agree that it's it's very underrated. It's um it's really it is so interesting and weird and I was just listening to the soundtrack at work because the soundtrack is fantastic and it really it's so dreamlike um which I think is something that I sort of had an idea of going in but I I was so in appreciation of Stanley Kubrick's um directing ability and particularly the way that he I mean this isn't isn't all him this is the cinematographer this is the production designer and the costume designer as well but the way that he uses the the lighting of New York at Christmas and all of these Christmas lights around and the use of shadow and the, the colors um, combined with the darkness and the, the sort of gray and, and rain-drenched streets, he really creates New York at Christmas at night into this sort of magical but dangerous and lonely and dreamlike wonderland, kind of. Like, it it really transports you and makes you see things in this different way. Um, and you really do feel like the hero is 
you know, is he maybe just imagining all of this? You know, all of this seems so unreal and yet um, it's so tactile. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was fantastic. The performances obviously are great. Uh, Nicole Kidman, absolutely incredible, absolutely destroys that role. Um, the idea, I don't know how much this was invented by this movie. I, I, I'm imagining that this concept is was invented by this movie, but maybe it's riffing on something earlier. But the idea of walking into a party and everyone is wearing masks and it's this sort of <laughs> creepy, like orgiastic, ritualistic atmosphere that is very uncomfortable. Like that is such I, I always think about that as being it's the eyes wide shut um, party. And like the, this movie just basically invented that idea. And it's such a cool and immediately and uncomfortable and sort of immediately recognizable sort of visual language you know walking into a party and everyone is in this these sort of halloween not halloween um more like carnival um you know masks yeah it's very creepy very interesting yeah sorry i'm gonna stop rambling but eyes wide (laughs) shut i really loved it (laughs) yeah it's it's a fantastic movie there's there's a reason why stanley kubrick is my favorite director of all time. Uh, him and mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, but yeah, I he he's just I mean, he's not the best person, but his his movies are I just yeah, I'm not going to go on and on about him. I'm obsessed with him. That's probably the most cliché film thing about me. It's like, "Oh, of course, Stanley Kubrick." <laughs> but like, come on, guys. If you watch mm-hmm. all of his movies, there's like, a reason that there are, like, their names it, always come yeah, up in conversation. Come on, everybody. Um anyway, okay, cool. So since it's been like four weeks since we recorded. I actually was able to fit a few things into my um, busy schedule. Um, and since we've also pretty much exhausted our backlog, we're kind of releasing these things almost in real time. So I can talk about current things that are coming out. <laughs> Yay! Um, I have been watching the final season of Succession, which... Uh, it's is doing a lot of things that are unexpected, but in the best way possible. Um, I think that the show, we're almost halfway through now, or we're about halfway through. They have made, the show creators have made some really great decisions in order to bring the show to the conclusion that I think it was always meant to have. But I never expected them to do what they did. But now that they've done what they've done, it's like, oh, wow, this makes so much sense. Um so yeah, Succession is an HBO show that's, you know, been around for a few years now. Uh, this is the fourth and final season. It's very, very good. I would highly recommend. Uh, the first season is very anxiety-inducing. Um, the tone of the show changes after season one. It's still the same show, but it's a little bit more... It, it's it's less stressful to watch, so it's a little bit easier to take Leans in. It's more into the dark comedy aspect no, Would you I don't say? think I don't think it leans more into it. I think it's okay. pretty consistent with that throughout. I think it just I, I don't watch Succession to be clear, so I'm enjoying hearing what your um how you characterize it. Yeah, it it um it just eliminate it doesn't eliminate it, but it it drastically reduces the amount of like okay, like we need to make this decision right now and if I don't make this decision then everything's going to fall apart and oh my gosh, this is the end of the world. Like it it the first season like just goes all in on that and the whole season is like a sprint 
leading up to this one moment of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Whereas the the following seasons are a lot more about like individual moments and individual twists and individual character dynamics and how all of those things weave into each other. It's a lot more of the family drama and politics of everything as opposed to the just the stress of the workplace and this type of working at this high of a level and blah. Um, not that the first season is not good. It's very, very good. But there's a lot of people that try to watch the first season and they're like, this is too much. And then they don't keep going. And I'm like, no, you should. Me being one of them. Yeah. Yep. Y- you should keep going. Um, but anyway. I will. I will. I, I will watch Succession. I know everyone loves it and it's a fantastic show um yeah I I I will get to it at some point (laughs) yeah so yeah I've been watching Succession uh just watching that every week as it's been coming out uh I also wanted to just tie back to I remember a few weeks ago we recorded I talked about an Amazon Prime show called The Wilds um season two is not good so I just want to I just want to put it out there (laughs) I was talking very positively about season one I stand by that. I think season one is very strong. Season two is not good. So oh, that's so disappointing. I yeah, it's it's disappointing, but it's fine. I haven't even finished it because I don't care to. But um, that was a little bit of a letdown, but that's OK. Um, and then the last thing that I've watched is there's a movie that I have been wanting to watch for a while now. I finally got to it. I think it was last week. It's called But I'm a Cheerleader. And I... I absolutely loved that movie. It it's a very pointed, over exaggerated satire of um like a, a a gay conversion therapy center. Um and if, I don't know how it even manages this, but the satire in in my opinion like it's not offensive or disrespectful. It's a very honest commentary on um, just teenagers being put in situations where by, by their parents and I don't even know how to summarize it, but it, yeah, it's the premise of it is basically it's this young teenage girl who's a cheerleader. She's kind of, she, she's in this good Christian stereotypical, you know, traditional conservative family. And basically everyone knows that she's gay except for her and so they all sit her down her parents and her friends sit her down in this room they're like hey um so you're gay and she's like what no I'm not and they're like yes you're gay so we're sending you to this center and you'll be fine in a few months and then we'll love you and she's like um I don't know what you're talking about but okay and so then she goes to this conversion therapy center and they have this whole ridiculous process but but it's like it's drawn from real actual things that were done to people in these centers. But like, oh gosh, it's mm-hmm. very exaggerated in a way that's silly. Um, and it, it, there's like the this step process, and you have to go through all the steps of like first I, admitting that you're gay, and then the second step is oh like like what's your what's your root? Like where does it come mm. from? And then it gets to this point where it's like I'll just make up anything. So there's points mm-hmm. where it's like. Uh, my mom drove the car when I was little and maybe oh that's what, you know, and, and they're like, yes, yes, uh-huh. that's great. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'll just say whatever. So anyway, and then it's just this, 
then she gets to a point where she's not just going through the motions like she does recognize like oh wait a minute I am gay and what does that mean and why am I here and you know am I going to live this out am I not what are the impacts of that like you know so it's a really really good movie I was very Mm -hmm. impacted by it I thought it was very very well done um I'm sure there are some um, oh sorry it's Natasha Lyonne right as the the lead actress in Mm -hmm. that yes yeah and I think there's probably a fair amount of people that would in some way not appreciate this movie um either because it's hurtful or I'm sure that there's some ways that you could look at it and see it as offensive but um for me it was very moving uh but it was also very silly and ridiculous um mm-hmm. at the same time and I just loved how it, how it held those two things in the balance of being very heartbreaking but also quite silly at the same <laughs> time um <laughs> So yeah, I would highly recommend the movie, but I'm a cheerleader. I feel like it's a movie for people almost of all ages, like 13 plus. I just think it's, it's, it's a great film. So, um, but yeah, that's basically everything I've watched in four weeks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, actually, no, I finished, basically I watched the wilds months ago. I just felt like I needed to give an update of that. So basically all I've watched is an episode of succession every week in one movie. So, um, I also wanted to throw out there, and then we're going to jump into this review because we've been talking for 20 minutes already. Um, But um, I wanted to throw out there in case anyone is interested, um, just like a little bit of a plug. The show that I've been working on is a little known show called The Bear. Uh, It's a it's a FX. You might never have heard of it. uh... (laughs) Yeah, it's an FX on Hulu show. Um, I was a part of season two as the prop buyer. Um, and I would just say if whether or not you have or haven't seen season one, I highly recommend you go watch it. Um, season two is very, very, very good. Um, and all of us are super proud of what we've worked on. So, um, I guess that's just like a plug, but also it's really good. So it would be both to my benefit and to your benefit. (laughs) If you watch it, I guarantee you, you won't regret it. Um, it's, it's stressful, but it's, supremely acted and directed and written and season two just swings for the fences. So, um, I would highly recommend watching the, the FX on Hulu show, the bear season two comes out in June and, uh, we're excited for you all to see it. So yeah. 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 We don't have an official release date in June yet, but sometime in June, I guess it depends on when, uh, Chris and Josh, the director and producer, finish editing and whoever else is involved in that. Um, But yeah. So anyway, moving on. Let's jump into um, our review of Aliens. Let's do it. I'm super excited. Uh, Okay. So today on the show, we will be discussing James Cameron's 1986 action thriller, Aliens, starring Sigourney Weaver. The follow-up to Ridley Scott's Alien, which was released seven years earlier, Aliens is considered to be one of the best film sequels ever made. The film follows its protagonist, Ripley, who wakes up from a cryo sleep and then returns to the planet that she, es- that she escaped from 57 years earlier. Her goal? To destroy the aliens that killed her entire crew on her previous visit. The goal of the military team that travels with her? To discover the mysterious threat that killed a colony of humans living on the planet. After they all arrive, they soon discover that their enemy is way more dangerous than they assumed. 
And also may not be the only enemy that they face. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, the classic James Cameron villain who's like, it's really money that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> Capitalism. Um, so this film was a huge hit when it was released in 1986 and went on to become one of the highest grossing movies of that year. Uh, made on a budget of only $18.5 million, the film grossed somewhere in between $130 and $185 million throughout its theatrical run. So basically, that is a huge profit. Uh, that is, that is <laughs> incredibly, like, relative to how incredible this movie looks and how much it must have, how difficult it is to make a sci-fi action movie. That yes. is like a really, really low budget, modest budget. Yeah. Yes. Um, you just said modest budget. You know, that's <laughs> from Shrek. It's really impressive what you've been able to do with such a modest budget. I like that boulder. That is a nice boulder. Uh, I have only seen Shrek once and that was a long time ago. I remember almost nothing oh, about it. it's lovely. So. Just beautiful. I'm quite impressed what you've been able to do with such a modest budget. Um, anyway, I guess that's my Eddie Murphy impression. Um, <laughs> but to continue, uh, this film along with alien were so popular that this universe was turned into a franchise and the decades that have followed aliens release four additional films have been made alien three alien resurrection Prometheus and alien covenant, not to mention the sub franchise of alien versus <laughs> predators, which is also like those. a comic series that's came about too so that's a whole thing we're not going to talk about that here today but i thought it should be mentioned um and so though this franchise has come to be very well known by many the original two films stand high above the rest as its finest installments so that is the general description and context for aliens uh i will say in this discussion i want to kind of stick with aliens because obviously there's a lot of other things we could talk about here alien is a phenomenal film that kicked this off and uh pretty undeniably on alien yeah yeah and pretty undeniably the following films are uh different levels of disaster <laughs> other than prometheus in my opinion i don't think yeah, prometheus I, is I that bad people stick up for for prometheus i've never yeah. i've never seen actually any of the alien movies after aliens well you've been blessed um <laughs> so so all that to be said like there's there's a lot of other things we could go into here of like alien versus predator or all of those things and the other films in this franchise but for the sake of time and also for the sake of like Sure. Our own brains, because I don't have all the in-depth information about Alien and all the other movies, because I'm not going to spend hours preparing to talk about eight movies. Um, we're just going to focus on Aliens here, so sorry to uh, Alien franchise fanatics, but uh, we'll just be focusing on one film here. Uh, but that being said, uh, Geneva, can you go ahead and just kind of share with us what your relationship is to this movie? Yes. It sounds so like you'd I... seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> I may have done. I introduced you to this movie, actually. Um, so I'm a little jealous that you poached it, but whatever. Hey, you it's poached fine. Devil Wears Prada, so. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Spoiler for future episode. Um, yeah, I freaking love this movie. I actually, I was introduced to it fairly late. Um, I saw Alien, the first Alien movie. Um, maybe a couple years after college, and then I only caught up with Aliens 
I think after I had finally gotten around to watching the Terminator movies, which was also late. (laughs) Yes. Also extremely late. Only maybe three or four years ago. um, I watched Aliens. Just absolutely adored this movie. Watched it, have watched it many times since. Um, both the regular, the theatrical cut, and the extended edition, which, Tatum, when you rewatched it this time, did you watch theatrical or extended edition? Just out of That's curiosity. That's a good question. It's just the one I got from the library. I think it's the theatrical. Okay. Did it have the scene, the, um, the scene of the colonists pre, um, no alien bra- outbreak? Okay. So you watched no. the theatrical. That's okay. also the version I watched. And in my opinion, superior, although I do like some of the stuff that, um, some of the scenes that the the extended edition um, has, but yeah, um, I really just really connected to this movie. Um, it is so well paced. It is, in my opinion, a it does pretty much- not feel like two and a half hours. No, like, not at all. It, it just keeps going, and it never feels mm-hmm. slow. It's it's yeah. oh, the pacing yeah. is so good. I mean, this is something that James Cameron is an absolute master at, but Mm -hmm. this is just such a perfectly constructed action movie script. You know, every beat, every line of dialogue is serving a function. It is either establishing a character (laughs) (laughs) and who that character is and making you either love them or hate them, depending on what the plot needs you to do. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. We're going down, (laughs) man. (laughs) It is seeding some sort of uh, plot point or something to notice for later. Um, It's just so flawless. And all of the performances are amazing. The fact the way that James Cameron is able to introduce this pretty large team of uh, people in the the, mil- the Marines, all of whom are completely original characters. Ripley is the only character who's a holdover from the first movie. You're introduced to these Marines, and within five minutes, you know absolutely everything there is that you need to know about them. You know what their different personalities are, how their dynamic works, um, who are gonna going to be the who's the comic relief, who's the hero, who are the villains, you know, the things that setting up the things that are going to be become important later. Um, you, uh, you love all of the, all of the, um, these characters that you're inevitably going to see die. And, um, and so that you're, you're all ready to cheer for them when they go out on a heroic moment. Um, it's just really masterful screenwriting. Like, I was just so impressed. And then again, this movie just looks fantastic. You know, the, the special effects are amazing. The model sets and puppetry that was used to create the aliens are absolutely incredible. I have no idea how he, he was able to do all of this on such a small budget. So, yeah, in, in summation, this movie is perfect. Um, I love it so much. I love the relationship between Ripley and Newt. I love the relationship between Ripley and Hicks. Um Honestly, very the much relationship my between Ripley and uh, everybody, like, everyone, she, absolutely everyone, the Ripley and uh, Bishop, the the way that um, her opinion of Bishop changes over the the course of the movie and how it sets you up with the you know who the android turned out to be in the first movie sets you up to assume one thing and then the slow reveal of oh he's actually a very different character and they have a very different relationship. It is so well done, so satisfying. So, yeah. Love's movie. Yeah. Um, 
I love this movie too. It's uh, yes. Yeah, so Geneva was correct. She was the one who introduced me to this. <laughs> um, so I had already, I had seen alien. Um, and also I, I grew up with James Cameron. Like I watched, I was shown all the Terminator yeah, movies you growing showed up. me. Well, yeah, I don't think you showed me the first Terminator, but you definitely showed me Terminator 2. Yeah, I feel like within the last maybe five years or so, you've seen a lot of James Cameron's movies for the first time. Like Titanic, I feel like you watched all the way through for the first time recently. Didn't you say it that? Was, it was not for the first time, but it was for the first time since freshman year of college. Oh, okay. I thought you hadn't seen it all the way through at all. Um, okay, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I grew up watching James Cameron. Um, I'm a big James Cameron fan. I kind of like everything he's made other than way of water. We're not going to go that route today. Um, but yeah, this film, when Geneva showed it to me, I remember we were in my bedroom. Like, I don't know. Geneva just came over and (laughs) we were in my bedroom. (laughs) We've got to watch this. (laughs) Yeah. We were like, let's watch aliens. And I don't remember if I'd gotten it from the library or if you brought it over or what, but I remember we finished that movie and I was like, um, Geneva, that movie was incredible. (laughs) And you were like, I know. Right. Um, and I just remember like, there were so, there were so many moments where there were certain things that happened and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like when Ripley first goes back down to find Newt and it's like she steps out of the elevator and the smoke and the steam is everywhere and she's holding this gun or Mm flamethrower and then when like the elevator door comes up and she's in the flipping like robot thing there was just so many things I was like wow the first time I saw the queen I was like oh my gosh my like it's the coolest thing ever, but also super disgusting at the same time. Like mm-hmm. ugh, this movie yeah. is so visceral in the way that it uses like sticky, like wet effects and crustiness. And like you just you really feel like you're there and you feel the horror and the disgust of the alien. And it really builds so that when the aliens get destroyed, you are cheering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I. I I echo everything that you said. Like this movie is just from top to bottom. It's it's so well made. I mean, the the cinematography, the set design, the sound design, the sound effects, the the pacing, the writing, the acting, the character development, the you know, just all of it is so 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 good. Um and prior to watching it this time for this podcast recording, I'd only seen it once before. And so I was like, I wonder if I'm going to still have the same love for it the second time around. Because the first time it had the shock value of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, it's still just as good the second time. <laughs> Hot take, um, holds up. <laughs> yeah, it's it holds up for sure. Um, and there are so many badass women in this film. I just, mm-hmm. I love how James Cameron is not ashamed to show strong women, whether they are grown adults or whether they're children. Like the mm-hmm. women are the smartest people in this movie, in my mm-hmm. opinion, because this movie, I feel like goes into this horror trope, not trope, but like this common thing that happens if you just sitting there and being like, don't do this. Don't do that. Like, like we know, like, don't open mm-hmm. the door. Don't go into the basement. Don't. It's like, just leave. Just like, literally just leave. Why are mm-hmm. we still doing? But they <laughs> Why keep are we still going. here? And, uh, and, but the women, well, I guess not all the women. Cause one of the soldiers is like totally into it. She's like, let's keep going. But, um, 
I just, I just love seeing strong women and not in a way where it's like, oh, they're strong, but also like sexy. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. they're just strong. And the fact that they're strong is enough. Like that makes Mm -hmm. them hot, you know? Um, everyone in this movie is so freaking hot. Everyone in this movie is freaking hot. I mean, I feel like we could say that about a lot of movies we watch, but I, yeah, I just, it's, it's great. So, um, yeah, I, I love this film. I was really excited to watch it again. It definitely holds up. Um, and I, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's a phenomenal film. Um, I will say the one thing that I kind of touched on this before, but I do think it's interesting how James Cameron just kind of repeatedly uses this villain theme of like, I know what's right, but because of money, I'm going to keep going. Like he does that in this movie. He does it in Avatar. He does it in Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm like, all right. It's a common theme. Like it's yeah. a, that's a pretty easy way out to like create a villain. Like in this movie, I'm kind of like, do we actually even need that? But I feel like we kind of do. Well, otherwise they would have just left. So yeah, I mean, um, A, like it works really well in this film. And I think it's one of the things that helps this film to really hold up is that that theme is only becoming more and more relevant the more our lives are governed by big businesses and Mm -hmm. pursuit of profit it's also something that um, i mean it's been a few years since i've rewatched the first alien but it's from my memory it is very much seeded into that first one because a, a huge part of why that movie even happens is because of the the company orders to go down to that planet investigate the fact that they seed in an android without telling the crew what's going on and the crew are caught unawares because of decisions that the company has made on their behalf and the ways that the company has made them unsafe um, in the pursuit of potential profit. So I think it's very much a theme within the first Alien movie that has been kind of carried over and then made even more explicit in the second movie. Yeah, I mean, I actually found myself thinking a similar thing watching this one because there was a point where I was so frustrated. I was like, no one would keep doing this just for money. Like, this is just dumb. And mm-hmm. then I was like, well, now that I think about it, actually, I think that there are <laughs> lots of people that exist that would keep going just mm-hmm. for the monetary, you know, outcome. Um, yeah. Because when Burke, that certain point when where Burke is like, but maybe we can like, you know, we can make that we can come out ahead and we can like smuggle some of those embryos through quarantine. And that will be a great decision. It'll make us lots of money. And you're like, are you insane? Do you not see what just happened? But yeah, yeah. Let alone what just happened, but also how an entire colony of people were annihilated (laughs) before you even got there. Anyway. Oh um, my goodness. But it's just, it's the hubris and it's the greed, you know, and those are just universal human emotions and vices that are relevant in every time period. Unfortunately, you're not wrong. Um, but yeah, so you mentioned a little bit about aliens. So I'm going to use that to kind of transition into talking specifically about like maybe the, the plot in certain moments of the film a little bit more. But I, one of the first things I wrote down was that I think that the, the way in which this movie starts is genius like the, mm-hmm. the tone that it uses, because I feel like it's pretty well known that the first Alien movie is a lot more of like a sci-fi horror. Like mm-hmm. it's a lot more on the horror side of things, mm-hmm. whereas this movie, it definitely still has horror aspects of it. Absolutely. But it does lean more towards action. But mm-hmm. I think 
that this movie starts in the horror realm because mm-hmm. it, so it kind of takes you back to to the story that you remember of what you saw before and it's like yeah we're gonna start out in that same place to kind of smoothly transition you because I feel like it would have been weird if it just came out of the gate being like yeah let's break out the guns and shoot me <laughs> you know it would have felt really disconnected mm-hmm. and so I think that this film yeah. starts in a really genius way of like you know, this family's in this ship going to check out what's going on. And then the dad has the thing on its face and then the the kids are screaming and it's like, whoa, the horror is still here. And there's all of the like quiet walking through and what's over there? What's over there? There's no sound. Something's going to jump out. You know, it it starts out in this very um, with this just tone of dread and fear. And I think it maintains that throughout, but it gets a little bit more like Fun's mm-hmm. not the right word, but more like hurrah! Let's go! Let's let's kill the you know <laughs> right. Um, Wait, sorry, just to clarify, when you say the the scene with the family, are you are you talking about the the actual scene that was in the extended edition? Maybe it is the extended. I I don't know which version I watched. Maybe it was the extended edition, okay. the one with the two parents and the two kids, where we meet Newt before. Yes, um, everything. Okay, yes. So you did watch the extended edition oh, because okay. that scene is not in the theatrical cut. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah. I was going to agree with your point though, just with the opening scene, definitely in the theatrical. I think it's also the opening scene in the extended, but um. Because it's it's Newt or Newt, sorry, Ripley being found in cryosleep by the salvagers mm-hmm. on the ship. Yeah, totally. And I was thinking as I was rewatching it, how what a great job J- James Cameron does of transitioning us from the look and the tone of the first movie to the second one. Because that opening scene, you know, her being found, it's very tense. It's very quiet. There's just sort of machines pinging and you don't Super know who suspenseful. it is that's opening the door. Yeah. And then her in the, the hospital bed and all of a sudden the thing starts ripping open her stomach and you don't realize at first that it's just a dream. Even her haircut is this haircut she had in the first movie and she later she later cuts it shorter for the um, and that's the the hair she has in the sec- most of the second movie. But it does a really great job of kind of building that continuity of here's where she is mentally and here's where we as an audience are you know here's where we left off and then once she makes that decision to go back is when we start to transition into okay we're going to be doing this time is going to be a little bit different you know all of a sudden we're meeting all these rowdy marines and everyone's shouting and laughing and teasing each other and waving guns around and um the look of it starts to get more uh very different too because it's got that kind of um you know, very military, greenish, brown, gray. Uh, once we're down on the planet, everything's misty and covered in resin secretions and gross and everything. And it's just, yeah, it's very different from the first one. But that opening scene does such a good job of t- meeting us where we left off. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that that was a very, very wise decision by the filmmakers to kind of slowly transition us from one from one kind of film to the next uh which I think is one of the many reasons why this is in Mm -hmm. my opinion the greatest sequel ever made it just Mm -hmm. it just is except for term term I don't know I don't know (laughs) whatever well there's there's a handful that you I mean Empire Strikes Back is certainly up there um Godfather Part 2 I I 
would assume is probably up there. I've not actually seen it, but yeah, yeah there's um, yeah, I will, a small elite crowd. It's interesting that you, because I totally was not aware that some of the things that I saw in the beginning mm. were from the extended edition. But just to note, really briefly, speaking of Stanley Kubrick, there's one very clear shining tricycle shot in in that opening sequence oh that I'm like, um, <laughs> that is. First of all, why is that even here? Maybe just to show like, oh, kids having fun in this place before it's mm-hmm. destroyed. But also like a complete ripoff of of the boy riding the tricycle <laughs> throughout basically the entirety of The Shining. Um, when what just, year did The Shining come out out of curiosity? Uh, I don't know what I'm wondering year. if it's like it had. Okay, I'm going to look I think it, I think it was talking. pretty close. It, it came out before this. Uh, this was what, 86? 86. So Shining, my guess would be... My guess is 84, but I don't actually know. Just watch uh, would be totally wrong okay. and The Shining came out after, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> IMDb, it came out first. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. IMDb says 1980. Oh, dang, I was off, but still came out before. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was like, is that is that a callback of trying to be like, oh, hey, this movie's scary because The Shining is scary or was it just purely <laughs> a, a lazy ripoff? I don't know. I thought it was weird. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I just... I, yeah, I'm, I just made a lot of notes about just kind of the beginning of the tone and how it transitions mm-hmm. and, and that moment. I feel like for me, the moment when it really started to switch to action movie was when they're all preparing to go to the planet and they're all kind mm-hmm. of like prepping their guns and you, mm-hmm. just like the, the classic... One of the greatest character introduction scenes of all time. Yeah, just like the classic, you know... Arm, army team scene in action movies of like let's assemble and show you all of the guns that we use mm-hmm. and you know I just thought that that was great and I was like oh yeah th- this is this is the moment when we're when we're starting to shift oh a gosh. little bit the moment when the all the um the the lids lift off of the cryosleep chambers but instead of kind of the you know from the first scene it's all very sort of quiet and sedate but this time they lift off and everyone immediately gets up and is like so loud and rambunctious apone like apparently slept with a cigar in his hand so he immediately puts it in his mouth they're all um shooting shit with each other they're all making fun of each other's faces it's it's so great like you can really they do such a good job of establishing the the chemistry and com camaraderie of a group that's been together for a long time they all know everything about each other they have been sleeping and um showering next to each other for months if not years um there's just absolutely no privacy or (laughs) anything left with them and then ripley's on the outside and um well i love that moment when she starts when she starts to be included on the inside, when she walks up to them and she goes, what can I do? And they go, I don't know. What can you do? <laughs> and then she's like, it's I so can, good. I can operate that thing. And they're like, okay, go show us. And she gets in and she's like, tell me where you want to move it. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I love. And they're just so impressed. They're like, all right, great. She, she knows her shit. She's, she's competent. Yeah. I, I loved that. And I also loved, I, I just love watching older films and just, just really being amazed by the special effects of how they did things. Cause I feel like things just had to be so much more, I don't know. I just, maybe this is a mean thing to say. Not that I don't respect people that do animation. Cause obviously that is a skill that is very difficult, but I feel like the more I watch movies, I'm just, I'm so impressed by practical effects. Mm-hmm. And I was just watching them introduce all of these 
big robots and machinery and these concepts, because I don't know the history of people operating robots in cinema, but I feel like in the movies that I've seen, this was the first version of someone being like inside of a robot suit. And, you know, it must've just been so cool at the time. And even now watching it, I'm just like, how did they, how did they do this? I I genuinely don't know. And Mm -hmm. obviously some of it is, is miniatures and, and things like that. But you know, it it just, it looks incredible. It looks so good. It does. It does. And there, there really is no substitute for having an actor actually within the suit or actually, you know, pushing some object or, or trying to uh, balance themselves on the side of a cliff or whatever it is, you know, it's just, it really does look very different when these things are, are real. Um, and the actor is actually having to, you know, tense up their muscles or actually having to think about where to put their foot or, you know, whatever it is, it just, it looks so amazing. It looks so good. And you really believe it. You can put yourself in this, the place of the character in a way that you you can't necessarily for um, something that is construct, constructed digitally. Not to say that, you know, amazing digital effects can and haven't happened, but right. there is that, yeah, that tactile feeling that really can't be replicated. So that actually leads me to the question, what what are your thoughts of the, of the guns in this movie? Because I have conflicting opinions because on the mm-hmm. one hand, I'm like, these are really cool. But then on the other hand, I kind of think these things are so big that it's kind of ridiculous and they seem more cumbersome than they actually, <laughs> you know, like, cause the guns mm-hmm. where they're kind of, they're attached to their waist and they're, mm-hmm. li- you know, the ones they look where they cool, took the, but the, it's also the... kind of like, they're so big that they're almost silly to me. Yeah. The Well, the ones where uh, Drake and Velasquez have that are, are fashioned, I believe, out of a Steadicam rig. They basically took a Steadicam rig and put a gun on it, and that became the the weapon that they used throughout the the movie, which looks so cool, although I agree it's probably actually very cumbersome. Um, Yeah, what do I think in terms of, like, how functional they are? Well, no, just in terms of, like, for you, are they just cool? Because for me, I, I think they're cool. They're really cool. But they're also kind of silly to me in a certain way of just like, they Mm -hmm. look kind of ridiculous, but also I can, they look cool. I don't know. It's like this weird Mm -hmm. dynamic for me. Whereas I feel like for most people, it just looks cool, (laughs) but I'm trying to see if I'm alone in this. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, for me, it mostly just looks cool. I mean, there's always the ambivalence about it, particularly now when we're rightfully having conversations about like glorification of guns in media like it does get a little bit uncomfortable to a certain extent to be like those guns look so cool oh but um yeah i i I was not watching the movie and thinking about the cumbersome aspect of the gun until the very end when she's basically like duct taping two guns together (laughs) so that she can use them both at the same time which i was like that is so cool also i feel like that that would be really heavy and hard to use (laughs) but you gotta do what you gotta do you know yeah um, interesting. Yeah. So I, I, one of the things that I also loved about this movie is the, um, just like, j- just the sound mixing. Um, mm. I, because in particular, it was kind of a repeated sound throughout the whole movie, which is the, the, the beeping sound of just the, 
I don't know what you call them, but just kind yes, of the, the, those motion trackers. that they Yeah. Use. The motion trackers. Mm-hmm. And I just loved how in certain moments that was the only sound that you heard and it built this yes. tension and mm-hmm. then it would go away at certain moments. Just the timing in which they would choose to include that sound versus not include that sound. I just thought it was absolutely genius. And I, I just, I loved how they used that throughout the film to really, really just rack up the tension in these just really really tense moments um and i love mm-hmm. the sound of it you know it wasn't this annoying beep beep, beep you know it was this cool kind of just little silent blip and it's mm-hmm. some of the sounds it did beep but um I, yeah i just thought it was a a really uh a really interesting choice that paid off in it just yeah it paid off a lot yeah yeah, absolutely agree. The sound design in general in this movie is terrific. I mean, the sound that they use for the the flamethrower um, as it's extinguishing eggs and aliens and various things. Uh, the sound of that the alien makes when it it gets run over by the um, that giant tank and it all sort of squishes and the acid is going everywhere is great. Um, yeah, so many individual moments that are just so well. What's that? Not scored. Uh, sounded. Uh, like designed designed yes thank you yeah yeah and I think just to kind of compliment the actors a little bit more I think that you really needed good actors in order to pull this off because this is this is you know an entirely fake world and and it could have been something where it's just like okay you know these there's just a bunch of aliens that are coming after you know it it, it could be if you had bad actors, this movie could have just been really silly. But mm-hmm. I I totally believe the stakes of these actors, you know, when the acid hits them and they're screaming in pain oh. or mm-hmm. they're yelling when their partners or not partners, I don't know the actual military term, but like the people on their team are yeah. being attacked and killed. And I just, I just really, I believed that this was a real world with people really experiencing this. And I just think that the acting performances, obviously Sigourney Weaver is the, you know, pun intended, I guess the queen of this film, but, but (laughs) also, so, I mean, you're going to talk about this later, but she was nominated for best actress for this. I don't, she didn't win. Correct. No, she's nominated, but yeah, such a well-deserved actress nomination. And in general, I think the Oscars, are not they really don't recognize action movie acting as often as as they should because it is it is a difficult thing to do you know to embody the physicality while you're also embodying this character and expressing this range of emotions through these different actions that the the character is taking and she is just phenomenal in this movie she really is yeah i th- i think I mean, obviously, obviously, yes. But I also like the whole cast, you know, everyone, Mm -hmm. everyone is just selling, selling the whole, the whole story. And I just, I, I'm grateful to them for giving this, giving this their all because it, it served their audience very well. Um, Well, while we're on the acting, um, unless you wanted to move on first and circle back to it, but a couple special shout outs that stood out to me while I was rewatching, um, is uh well first obviously hudson um played by bill paxton r.i.p he's oh what a loss <laughs> he's such a treasure <laughs> he is so funny um it's it's incredible how you believe his sort of the, the mini transformation arc that he goes through sort of two transformations really because he starts out as this really like 
cocksure, you know, um, just goofy guy who just is, believes that he can do anything and, you know, oh, yeah, we're Marines. We can do anything. Rah. And then when the starts, everything starts to go down, he just completely falls apart and he's such a coward and he's like constantly screaming and moaning and um, and it's still funny somehow, you know, it's sort of it's annoying and yet it's also really funny. Like he he toes the line before you start to get really annoyed, but then he pulls it back toward the, the second half of the movie and he gets to go out a hero and he gets to. Um, he ends up being really valuable for the team in the time that he has left. And yeah, it's a really great comedic performance within this action movie. And then also I have to shout out um, Paul Reiser as Burke, who is such a scumbag. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he sucks. (laughs) He sucks. And it's, you know, it can be hard to play a character that is that hateable. You know, every second you're on screen, you want to punch him in the face. (laughs) Well, I think Ripley yells at him at one point. She's like, you are responsible for Mm -hmm. all of these people dying. Yeah. And you sent all of these people here and you don't care. And he's like, you're Mm -hmm. right. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, he just manages to convey the way that Burke has so, he's so self-deceptive. He's really convinced himself that he's doing maybe not the morally right thing, but the practical thing. You know, he's like, well, I made a decision. It was wrong, but now we just got to like cut our losses and like figure out what to do next so that we end up on top. And he's so, or you should learn from your mistakes sort of and not do it yeah. again. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can see it on his face when Ripley confronts him that he's just recalculating and trying to find some way to come out from this, that he is not the villain. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance of an absolutely deplorable human being. And just to kind of talk about how much I love this this military team, I love how when, um, oh gosh, what did you say his name was? Uh, Burke. When Burke, mm. you know, tries to, tries to kill Ripley and Newt and they end up getting out. And I love how when... Um, when Ripley's kind of explaining to all of them, this is what he did and this is why he did it and blah, blah, blah. blah, And he wanted to bring it back by impregnating, you know, Mm -hmm. and they all believe her. Like there, there is no proof. They haven't heard Burke say any of these things, but they trust her at this point Mm -hmm. that they believe everything that she's saying, which is such a transformation because just days earlier, they were like, who's this chick? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. she's crazy, but now she's, she's a very trusted member of their team that all she has to say is that this guy is a bad guy. And they're all like, all right, let's Mm -hmm. stand behind you, you know? And I, I just thought that that was, there's a lot of moments in this movie that genuinely touched me and I thought were just really beautiful. And this was one of them. I just loved, there were so many moments of genuine camaraderie that, Mm -hmm. that moved me. And I, (laughs) I, I don't think I, the first time I watched this movie, I think I was so caught up in the spectacle that I didn't really, not that I didn't feel emotion, obviously I felt emotion, <laughs> but it, there weren't any moments where I was like, oh, that really, whereas this mm-hmm. time I teared up like at five yeah. different moments, <laughs> like, well, oh my like gosh, the, why am I tearing up right the, now? <laughs> the sort of subtle, um, almost background subplot of the fact that Gorman is and a really green lieutenant. This is his first time mm-hmm. going out on a combat mission, basically. Uh, this is a new team he's never commanded before. And mm-hmm. everyone on the team has worked together for years. And they mm-hmm. are so 
dismissive of him and he keeps making wrong decisions like he he keeps screwing up he freezes and he makes wrong calls and he doesn't give them the information they need and you know he's he's a he's a pretty bad at his job under fire um but then once things really go down and, and Ripley finally takes charge and things are go- doing better, he pitches in to help. And by the end, that him going out with Velasquez, who's kind of been the most mm-hmm. vocal person of being disgusted at him, them kind of having this final little moment where... I teared up at that they're moment. They're sharing the grenade <laughs> where it goes off. I yeah, teared up. Me too. I, yeah, it, it's it got so me. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it so got good. me. Yeah. And to your point too about... um like the team really coming around on Ripley. Um, I mean, I I could talk for many hours about my love for Hicks in this movie. I love this character so much. And yeah, what this I... is Geneva's type to a T. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I love a quiet but hyper competent man who supports a woman. But um, <laughs> I just love in this movie kind of how early in this movie he zeroes in on Ripley and totally. you can tell he's just like okay I like this woman this woman knows what she's talking about I'm going to trust everything that she says mm-hmm. um and so and he becomes really instrumental then as you know the the team kind of is kind of falling apart and Ripley starting to take charge he's one of the first who's like all right we need to listen to her cuz she knows what she's she's talking about and even though he I'm was nominally- the one he mm-hmm. was the one who agreed when Ripley was, when they were all like, what do we do? And she was yeah. like, we should take off and orbit. nuke the site. Yes. He was the one who agreed with her, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. when he turns and repeats her words back about how we need to nuke the site from orbit because it's the only way to be sure, I was like, this is the most beautiful proclamation of love I've seen <laughs> <laughs> without using those exact words. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's just like, it's really cool to rewatch the movie and just see how often early in the movie he's kind of just quietly watching her. And then as the movie goes on, like he's stepping up and taking these practical steps, but in in service of supporting her and her decisions and deferring to her greater knowledge, because she does have the greatest knowledge out of all of them. Like she's the one who has experienced these creatures before. She knows what their strengths and weaknesses and their capabilities are. And like it it's helps the rest of the team then to fall in under her leadership. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree. I just there, there's just so many dynamics between characters in this that are ju- oh, that, like so many. I mean, I, we've barely even talked about Newt, who's a huge character <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just I it's love such a pivotal relationship. I love when when store or when scripts can communicate just eons about a character mm-hmm. in such a in just such a brief amount of time. I mean, that takes so much skill. And mm-hmm. the fact that several of these actors, a lot of them, we really only interact with them in groups. We don't get a lot of individual moments with characters, mm-hmm. but we still, at least in my opinion, we still know who these individual yeah. characters are as standalone people. Yes. And like I we know, sorry, there's, there's we know that of... Velasquez and Drake have a special relationship. And then when Drake gets killed, Velasquez blames Gorman on it. And that's one of the reasons she's so antagonistic toward him because she's like, Drake was killed because of you, even though she never says it. Sorry, I interrupted you. Go no, on. that's okay. <laughs> just, I've, I've seen this movie so many times and I just love. Yeah. All I these actually forgot my, what I was saying. Um, what was it? Well, you were talking about the the character dynamics and um, 
Uh, hold on. It's gonna. It's gonna <laughs> come to me. Um, I get really excited. Dang, you say something because I don't even know how to proceed from here. My brain's just like stuck. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, I, Bishop, another great character. Where there's there's this really great moment early on where um, they're all eating lunch together. And again, you know, you're seeing them all interacting as a group. You're seeing it's building the fact that Gorman sits alone and he's, you know, all the, the the people under his command are really resentful at him. Oh, he thinks he's too superior to us. Bishop comes in and Hudson has him do the knife trick. And there's a great little moment where Hudson hands him the knife and Bishop does this like really incredible little like twirl of the knife that's like really impressive. And you get a sense of who Bishop is just in the fact that he is this robot who can do this incredible trick because he's a robot, but he's also going to like twirl the knife in this special little way just to kind of show off. Like there's a little bit of human in, in him in the way that he um, just peacocking a little bit for the the characters. Um, yeah. I just, I love that scene so much. Yeah. He's a, he's a great character and I love how kind of like how you mentioned earlier, how they subvert the expectations of what we think this guy mm-hmm. is going to be because you know, obviously there was a different experience with that same type of character in the first movie. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I really like what they do with him and how even this time around, even though I'd seen it before, I was, I was thinking, oh no, don't send him out to do the, to, to re, you know, to reactivate the signal or whatever, because he's going to do something and he's being paid or or not. He's being paid. He's a robot. So he doesn't care, but he's somehow hooked into this or tied into this capitalistic whatever. And it's all going to be a sham. And I, I totally forgot that he was actually genuine to the extent that a robot can be genuine. But, um, I I love that. I love that, that twist. Yeah. Cause they, they set up a little bit of there's like a hint that it could go another way when he has he's so fascinated by the the alien species um and he spends so much time dissecting it and i feel like that could be a little sign of oh no maybe he's gonna be like maybe he's gonna go crazy and try and start protecting the aliens or working with them but mm-hmm. nope he's just he's just interested yeah and that's fine Still on the side <laughs> i would be interested too if i was a robot and wasn't afraid yeah. of dying um <laughs> but okay so i have a question this was something yes. that i was like Maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. But it was something that really frustrated me because there's a (laughs) lot of moments in this movie where I'm just thinking, don't do this. Why are you doing that? This is stupid. But, you know, you can tie it back to that. Okay, well, it's because of whatever. But this was Mm -hmm. something where I just kept thinking, I don't see any reason why why you would go about (laughs) it this way. Um, and even though if you are going about it this way, why someone else wouldn't step in and say something, but the whole, the whole moment when, um, when Gorman is commute, like when, when they find out that you can't, you can't fire weaponry in this area, otherwise it's going to create this nuclear reaction. And, and so all he tells them is you can't fire in there. And they're Mm -hmm. all just responding, wait, what? And you could have told them the reason why yes. they shouldn't fire, but you won't for a reason that I don't understand. And I'm like, yes, I understand that they're kind of establishing this thing of he's not really good at at, do, mm-hmm. at his job, like you said, and he doesn't really know how to lead this team. But also, there's two other people right there that have these headpieces on that can communicate to them. Why are they? <laughs> you know, I just was like, why? Why would you not tell them the reason why you're asking them to get rid of their ammunition? That just doesn't 
That doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there really is a reason apart from just that Gorman is not a very good lieutenant and he feels the need to assert his authority, but he did not kind of think through the fact that it would be helpful to give an explanation so that if things go south, they can be working around the parameters. You know, he's not thinking through, maybe it'd be better to give them more information in this situation because they might have to make decisions without me. They might have to improvise on the fly. He's just like, nope, I give order. They follow order. Everything will go as planned. But Ripley could have stepped, like, she has a microphone and she has been talking to them. She could have said, you know, like, it's not, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It it just was odd to me. I thought it was weird and it did make sense. Um, And I still think it does make sense, but that's fine. One issue in an entire two and a half hour movie (laughs) is really fine. Um, But... Yeah, so I honestly the rest of my notes are are kind of things towards the end of the movie, but you did mention that we hadn't talked much about Newt, so I wasn't sure mm-hmm. if you had any further thoughts on her. Um I think she's very interesting. I love I love the inclusion of her in this as kind of this daughter figure to Ripley who's lost her daughter mm-hmm. due to old age. Yeah. Um which um uh for then anyone out there who's not aware the um, backstory that Ripley had a daughter she left behind who aged and has just recently passed away after she is finally returns from her 57-year cryosleep, that is only in the, in the extended edition. That is not in the theatrical edition. Oh, I definitely yeah. watched the <laughs> extended yeah. edition. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I, wow, I think it's a nice... that changes a lot. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because it's one of those things where it adds flavor and a little bit of um, depth to the interactions that Ripley has with Newt, but I don't think it fundamentally changes it. It just, it gives you a little bit more insight into where Ripley's coming from, but I don't think it's strictly needed. Um, so, because you, you know, it is still a very sort of motherly, daughterly relationship that the two of them our building you just you also get that added insight of ripley has lost her own daughter i mean um, newt so- literally calls her mommy by the mm-hmm. end <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah regardless i mean i i love the relationship between the two of them i feel like i've heard people criticize the actress who plays nude as like a one of the not a very good child performance but i completely disagree with that i really love the performance of the 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 young actress who plays Newt. I don't know her name. I don't think she really did a whole lot after that. Um, I think she may have just been a child actress and, and didn't continue with acting. But um, yeah, I think she's really wonderful. She's a little bit unsettling at certain points, as you would be as a sort of traumatized child who's kind of warning people, like, they mostly come at night. Mostly. I think she's but, keeping it all together pretty well, considering yeah. what she's been through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that moment she's, where they're all just drilling her of, tell us what happened. And, mm-hmm. and Ripley's and she's like, just staring straight ahead. Like she's out. traumatized. Yeah. yeah. This poor child's going to need so much therapy. And then they're just but, like, she's useless. We're not going to get it. I'm like, guys, mm-hmm. she's what? Nine she's years old. <laughs> she's watched her entire yeah. Everyone she knows be massacred by mm-hmm. aliens on another planet. <laughs> like mm-hmm. she's been living in the air vents by herself for God only knows how long. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like an early sign of how the sort of official stated mission of the team slash the companies like 
unofficial purposes are diverging from Ripley's purposes is that they're like Newt is useless from their point of view like they just want to find where the rest of the colonists and what it is that happened here but Newt, uh, Ripley zeroes in on this is a child who needs our help and if we can only save one person I'm going to save her I'm going to make sure that she gets out of this alive and it it shows you know the humanity that she has um and the humanity that the rest of the team is able to um, sort of bring back or, or take on as they grow to aid Ripley in, in making all of this happen. Um, yeah, I, I just, I love the, the tenderness that she has toward her, the way that she is able to speak to her in a way that is kind of age appropriate, but is also not talking down to her. You know, the, the very cute little conversation where she's like, oh, no bad dreams in there, in your little doll's head, so can't you sleep like the doll? And the <laughs> nude is like, that's because she's made out of plastic. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, and I... <laughs> don't talk to me like I'm four. I'm nine. <laughs> I really like how Ripley also recognizes that she's not just a kid that needs to be saved. There's also a lot to learn from her, too, mm. because we have we have that moment when... Um, when Private Hudson is kind of having his initial breakdown of, we're not going to, 17 days, man, no, we're <laughs> fucked. You know, like he's just freaking out. And then Ripley just says, you know, this young child survived here by herself longer than that. So if she mm -hmm. can do it, you know, let's, let's all just, let's not panic. Let's try and yeah. maybe strategize a little bit. It's not over yet. And I like how she kind of helps them all start recognizing that she actually is not just a damsel in distress. She is a valuable member of this team. And mm -hmm. she kind of plants that seed in the beginning. But then we see it really come to life by the end when she's the only one who helps them navigate these air vents in order to get out. You know, it's mm -hmm. basically because of Newt that they survive. Yeah. Otherwise, they yeah. would have been trapped and killed a lot sooner. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I just, I love kind of going back to something that I said in the beginning, one of the things I really admire about this movie is that the women are the heroes. The women really mm -hmm. are. And I don't think that the film is, is ashamed about that. Obviously there's strong men in this movie. There are women that, that take leadership and, and are very good at what they do and they are very strong and powerful and, and whatever. But at yeah, the end but of the, the day, men show their strength by listening to the women when they know more than they do or have better ideas than they do. Yeah, I just I I feel like we don't we don't see that very often in movies, especially not movies made by men and especially not action films. Um it, it kind of like how I said in the beginning, you you see powerful women in action films, but a lot of times, you know, for example, in Mission Impossible, Rebecca Ferguson, very powerful, also wearing like flippin' skin tight pants or Scarlett Johansson as whatever the flip her character's name is in those Marvel movies, like yeah, she's mm -hmm. powerful, but also what is she wearing? Or, you know, it's just there's mm -hmm. always this dichotomy of in order for women to be powerful and strong and whatever in these action movies, they also have to be these, you know, freaking goddess model women who have mm -hmm. these incredible skin -tight suits. bodies that aren't realistic, you know, <laughs> whereas this movie, it's like, no, we're just real but also we can be super, super powerful at the same time. And there's different types of women too, because I feel like in my opinion, Ripley's character, she's not, in my opinion, like she's not physically ripped. You know, we see her mm -hmm. in these t in tank tops and her underwear and she's kind of, you know, 
she's not out of shape, but she's not like ripped, you know, but she still is very yeah. strong and powerful in her own way. And then we have, I think her name is Velasquez, who is ripped and she's very powerful in that way. And then we have Newt, who is a child, but she's also very strong in terms of her, um, like her, what's the word I'm looking for? Not, not perseverance, but her like, her resilience. Uh, yeah. Her resilience yeah. as at such a young age and being mm-hmm. able to step up to the plate when she needs to, you know, these women are all, or, or girls, I mean, cause Newt is a, is a child, but they're all mm-hmm. very strong in very different ways, but they're all, yeah. the, I just, yeah. I love it. Well, there's I a, love there's it. A... This movie is a feminist movie <laughs> and it's made by a white man in the 1980s. I just, I think it's great. But James yeah. Cameron also did that in flipping the Terminator. You know, I was going to say, just, yeah, he kind of set the template for that in the ta- Terminator. Yeah, well, it's a it's a mental toughness. You know, there's a variety of sort of physical strengths that are on display from the women, but they do share this quality of sort of mental toughness, of resilience, of um, uh, kind of a moral um, strength as well, in in wanting to do the right thing. And in the case of Ripley. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a nice variety there, but um great representation. Also got a shout out because she only has like two scenes. Uh my favorite of the Marines that are not, you know, the the major named ones is Pharaoh the pilot, mm-hmm. um, who I just love. I feel like if she had who wears been able to be on the aviators ground aviators in the dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're in the pipe five by five. Yep. She's yeah. Great. I, I uh, yeah, R. I just Pharaoh. I just love how yeah, I was going to say, I just love how this movie introduces the kills, you know, like the ones, mm-hmm. there's so many kills that happen on screen, but there's also so many that happen off screen. And oh. like that one with the, with the, uh, with the aircraft when they're flying in to get them, yeah. I, that one Spunk is just Meyer. so, it's so good it. how they set that up, how all he sees is this like slime mm-hmm. and we're all, we all just know. We all know. We all yep, just yep. know. And then she's like, Spunkmire, where are you? Where are you? Yep. And I love the fact that when the creature opens the door, she immediately goes for the gun, even though it's like obvious that it would be useless, but mm-hmm. that's still her first instinct. Yeah. I, well, I mean, if it's the difference between going for a gun and trying to defend yourself or just sitting there and just <laughs> saying, okay, well, this is the end. You know, I'm going yeah. for the gun too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, so I guess, because I'm trying to be more conscious of keeping episodes mm-hmm. shorter, I want to try and start moving a little bit towards the end here because there's so much that happens in the end. But just kind of talking about, I guess, shocking reveals. I... <sighs> the reveal of the queen is... Oh my goodness. Because it is this really long sequence because it starts with her finding newt and then it starts with seeing one egg and then seeing dozens of eggs and then seeing this tube of just nasty secretion so gross and then you see a little bit of something and you're like oh i think i know what this is and then eventually we get this shot of the whole it's Mm -hmm. just it's she kind of she looks like she's seated on a throne the way that the oh um, gosh yeah the the tube the egg laying tube is set up you know she just looks regal but also so terrifying 
it's incredible but also incredible so design. gross <laughs> that's so that gross. scene is really <laughs> disgusting. again well again again with the um the sound design is mm-hmm. just so much of that is the the sound of like the mushy crackling like eggs rolling around and you know viscous sort of sloshing around it's so it's gross visceral yeah yeah i uh but it's it's also mm-hmm. it's yeah, so but great. then there's that that sort of wordless standoff that ripley has with the queen mm-hmm. that are sort of negotiating their escape um but then at the end the queen is kind of it's like who's going gonna to make the first them. move <laughs> mm-hmm. and so ripley just lights them all up and she she lights them up. She yeah. goes like so far overkill. I'm like, those eggs are cooked. And yet she just keeps going. <laughs> and I was cheering alone in my apartment. It was great. Yeah, it's it's so great. And then obviously it leads to this. It just builds and crescendos into this epic sequence of 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 um, Ripley versus the versus the queen. And, you know, this it's just the concept, okay, first of all, the concept of this queen alien knowing how to use an elevator is quite hilarious, <laughs> I will say. I think it's super to funny. To be fair, the way they set it up, the the queen does not use the elevator. The elevator is operated automatically. The queen just gets in the elevator. Yeah, but the queen still knows what the elevator, it's like, oh, if I go in there, it'll take me upstairs, <laughs> you know? It, it, it might not be like, oh, I'm going to press the button and bring the elevator, but it definitely knows, oh, if I go in there, it'll take me upstairs. I just, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's ridiculous in a way that is is laughable. I just think it's like, of course, of course, the queen knows to, to get in an elevator. <laughs> well, it saw Ripley do it first, so it's yeah. Thought, well, maybe if I go in why here, why not? Um, yeah. But just the concept of just a big robot having a fist fight with a huge oh. alien is, oh, mm-hmm. it, it's just it's so good. It's so yeah, good. It's I, I so love good. it. It's Godzilla, it's giving Pacific Rim, it's just, Ugh. you know, it's the classic archetype, monster versus robot. But just the best iteration of it, in my opinion, or at least <laughs> at this point in time. You know, I just, I there's, there's certain movies in my life where I just think I wish I had seen these at the time that they came out because they would have mm-hmm. just been a lot more, impa- not that they're not impactful now, but it would have yeah. meant even more. And this is one of those where I wish I'd seen this in 1986 yeah. because- Man, I mean, there's a reason it made a hundred and fifty mm-hmm. million, you know, which is a lot for that time, you know, like because people were dying to see this in the theater. Um, it's really a theatrical experience, you know. Um, and then, of course, of course, mm-hmm. of course, we have the ever <laughs> iconic line after the door opens, and you know, Ripley just Ripley steps out in her suit. Get away amazing. from her, you bitch. <laughs> So oh, it's so good. So good. The fact so that good. she calls this queen alien a bitch is just, <laughs> ugh. it's so great. It's perfect. It's I, perfect. James Cameron just has a way, you know, cause he's got, I'll be back. He's got get away from her. You bitch. He's got, I'm the king of the world, you know, mm-hmm. and then and instantly iconic lines. Then draw me like one of your friends. <laughs> you know, he just assholes and elbows. He's just a master at creating these lines at the right moments that are just, you know, in any other context, they probably would be just, silly but he Mm -hmm. he just creates them at the right moments and they just are immediately iconic he knows how to work the audience's 
how to move the audience emotionally and to bring them into those highs, you know, those peaks and yeah. create those moments where you're just ecstatic. You're just yep. like, yeah. It is kind of sad though. I will say, so this is going to kind of sound like a tangent, but I'm going to bring it back around. Mm. I, I am a fan of Avatar. I'm just going to say that as as a statement, I am. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I see the problems and the complaints that people have. But that being said, I like Avatar. I am not a fan at all of Avatar The Way of Water. Mm. But I we disagree on this. But yes, yes, we have opposed. She Geneva has the opposite sentiments towards those movies. That I do. She likes the second one and not the first one. But regardless, I, say I don't like the first one. I like the f- second one better than the first one. Yeah. But anyway, sorry. Keep but going. regardless of those movies, I will just say, you know, what rewatching aliens and now thinking more about James Cameron's filmography as a whole, mm-hmm. I am kind of upset that he's spending the rest of his career in this same universe because he's made so many incredible films in so many different just genres and, and different areas. And, and he's flexed so hard in each <laughs> place that he's gone. And I'm just like, why are you like, I don't want you to spend Mm -hmm. the last 20 years of your career (laughs) doing avatar (laughs) movies. I mean, they're super cool, but also things too. You're brilliant. You like do something else. (laughs) Um, so I just, it makes me kind of sad because I think, I, I mean, obviously the avatar movies, even if you don't like the stories, just the accomplishment of how they make them and what they look like and the technology is undeniably flabbergasting it's absolutely monumental and changing for the for the future of cinema but at the same time I I wish I could I wish I could see him do at least one more movie that's not an avatar film but we all know it's not going to happen (laughs) so you know the next movie will be uh following the Navi but they'll be in a fire planet or um something like that fire tribe or i i don't know yeah um but yeah it just it it, it makes me kind of sad i I feel like he he's pouring the remainder of his creativity into this same place which i think in a way is kind of a squander of his creativity but um anyway i just i just felt like i needed to say that because it it just came to me in this moment i'm like this movie's so good oh wait a minute then we have terminator and and titanic and oh wait all the i'm like oh come on you know (laughs) oh man (laughs) you know it's funny too um speaking of avatar um i saw the first avatar you know within a year or two after it came out i saw it well before i saw aliens i did not realize that the the, the mechanical loader things, they're used in Avatar. Yes. And I watched that not realizing that it was sort of a callback to aliens. Yes. I saw aliens and I was like, oh, that's where these come from. Yeah, there's a lot of similar design things between the two. And not that that's a bad thing. Um, hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Um, yeah, I mean, Geneva, is there anything else that you... I feel like you'd need to talk about with this movie. I mean, obviously we could go on and on, uh, but I mean, I could just go through for like 10 hours and just talk about my favorite, like little lines of dialogue and moments, but I, I probably shouldn't. I've, I think I've covered most of the big ones. Um, yeah. I mean, I think we've hit all the kind of the big sections of the movie, the big character dynamics. I'm trying to think of anything that we've really left out. I don't know if you want to do five minutes on, uh, I just remember the first time we watched it, how much you loved Apone and every single line that came out of his mouth, which is absolutely iconic. I mean, 
I just what a great character. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to talk about it. I just think that he is a great character. All of his lines are ridiculous, but they somehow work <laughs> for his character, uh-huh. you know. But he's also a super. You can tell that all of them respect him so much. Mm-hmm. He's very good at commanding his team but also earning their respect. You know, I just, like we were talking about before, all of these characters, at least for me, I can just see the entirety of who they are, even though we only get little brief moments of them. And I just, I think he's a really cool guy. He's someone that I would just want to sit down with and and have a conversation and have (laughs) a drink with and just be like, I want to learn from you because I feel like you're super cool and really smart and very wise, but also could throw down and like have a good time you know <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ah, um, another day in the core yeah I just Love think, the I feel like he'd be such a fun guy um yeah and I guess the one last thing that I would want to discuss would be I just love how it's it's this this consistent thing throughout the alien movies or at least the ones I've seen I've seen f- three of them um, I've seen Alien, Aliens, and Prometheus. The other ones I have no desire <laughs> to watch. Um, but I love how the Alien franchise has this this ability to end the movies in a way where you know that it's not over. But at mm-hmm. the same time, it still feels like a good conclusion. It feels like this is a good place to end. But man, this isn't over. Mm-hmm. And I love yeah. how this movie... Very much, this is this chapter in this ongoing you know, adventure is concluded, but there will be more chapters. Yeah. And this movie kind of does that a few times in terms of you get to a point where you just think, okay, is this the ending where we know it's not over? Oh no, we're still going. Is this the <laughs> ending where we know it's not over? Oh no. We're... And then the yeah. final one, it just, it has such a good conclusion of her putting everyone into their sleep and then her mm-hmm. going into her sleep. But, you know, we see them with the bandages on their faces. Yeah. And then my she's favorite. she's now surrounded by her kind of newfound family in a way. Yeah. And then my favorite part of this ending was the fact that, you know, because in my mind, it, it very much so has this feeling of this, this isn't over, you know. Mm-hmm. And I loved how when the movie ends and it goes to the credits, it's got this super eerie music of mm-hmm. just, oh, shit <laughs> you know it's just like oh man uh-huh. this is this is really you know they're not really gonna have a safe trip home are they <laughs> you know oh um, yeah are you I, I assume you're aware of how aliens 3 mm-hmm. opens which is the big reason that i have never seen aliens 3 is because i don't want to acknowledge a universe in which newton hicks do not survive yes and bishop yes yeah yeah no i you. uh yeah it's I I just I'm sure that movie is well made on its own, but I prefer not to. Yeah. Yeah. I just I I love that these movies are able to end on that dynamic of this. Like it feels like a good conclusion, but at the same time. Well, it feels like it it really feels like it's brought Ripley's story full circle, Mm -hmm. you know, where she had a sort of family in her crew. They're all taken out by these creatures. And by the end of the second installment, she has now kind of created a new found family for herself Mm -hmm. oh and then I just remembered one last thing I want to say and then and then we can kind of close out here but Mm, um one thing that I do really love about this movie is that I feel like it it does a really good job of of showing the aliens at the right time and in the right Mm. way because I think I think that if this movie had gone a route of either showing the aliens a lot 
or mm-hmm. showing them in very bright light, mm-hmm. this movie would have been really silly because we would have just seen these these people in costumes like running around <laughs> or like these animatronic yeah. robots. It would have been kind of like a Jaws situation of, okay, this mm-hmm. villain, now <laughs> we're seeing it in full <laughs> the broad more we daylight. See it, the less threatening And it, it looks stupid. And yeah. I think that this movie did a really good job of we do actually see the aliens here. We do. Mm-hmm. We see their full structure and everything, but yeah. we never see them where it's like, oh, we're having a really long, steady shot on. The, mm-hmm. It's like, no, it's a fleeting thing where the camera's moving or the alien is moving really fast or even the queen, you know, it's it's in really dark light and there's a lot of smoke. Yeah. And so I think that this movie is very smart in how it shows the aliens, because if it had done it any other way, I feel like it would have just looked like a bunch of people in suits running around. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the first time that we see the xenomorphs, when the um, the soldiers are down in the, the basement um, trying to figure out what's going on, and you sort of see them behind the head of one of them uncurl itself and like initially it was blended into the the background but then it uncurls and you suddenly realize it's a creature like it's so dark mm-hmm. and creepy and well done and you're just like ah, yeah look around turn around there's ah! something behind you <laughs> yeah, so because good. there's so many moments of them holding these mo- these motion sensors like where are they mm-hmm. i'm like Turn around. around. They're like, look at the <laughs> ceiling. Look yeah. below you. Like, ah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Which I got to say, too, is um, it's one of the reasons why um, the special edition, even though I do like some of the scenes that they add, I really don't like the addition of the scene on the colony before hmm. um, everything has gone down. Mm-hmm. Just because I, for me, it's a lot more effective if the first time that you see the colony is it's when already it's already gone. been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Everyone's already gone. It's yeah, like you don't I need to see what it looked like before. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. you get everything. You know, yeah. you get everything from them exploring the abandoned place. Mm-hmm. Um, and you yeah. already know that Newt's family is dead. Like you don't need mm-hmm. to see them dying to understand that concept. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, crap. I keep forgetting things. There was one last thing that I was going to say. Mm. Dang it. Um, is it related to the, the creature design or the cinematography? Oh, I think like it might've were... been, I think it might've been, but that's okay. It's all good. Um, this is what happens when you're super tired. Um, <laughs> I could barely even like compile notes for this movie. I was like, Tatum, get it together. Um, but yeah. Okay. Well, I, I I don't want to end this discussion because I love this movie and I want to keep talking about it. <laughs> like, I genuinely really do. Um, but we can, you and I can always talk about this whenever we want. We can. So, we can. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the conversation's not over just because we stop recording. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess with that being said, uh, we can kind of start to, to close things out here. Um, so just to kind of go into how this movie was received critically, um, so on Metacritic, this movie holds an 84 and on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a night, it's a 98% fresh. Um, so I we'll find the critics who gave the 2% rotten reviews oh, and I will fight them. Believe it or not. I'm going to read a review from our <gasps> lovely friend, Roger Ebert, who does oh, no. not like this movie. Well, he doesn't <gasps> not like it, but he okay. doesn't, he doesn't praise it like other people do. Okay. Um, but before I get well, to that, I wonder like, especially I mean, maybe this this will be part of his review, but like in the context of the movie Alien, 
which I don't know how that was received. I'm assuming it's it was received very well at the time, but this movie is so different. So I do wonder, like, walking into this movie, the fact that it's so different. Like, it, it might have been difficult for people the first time you're watching it just because it is so, the tone is so different. You know, it's a lot more of a, you know, crowd pleaser. It's a lot more of, like, it's less sort of moody and atmospheric. So you <laughs> might go into it and think like, oh, they just like Hollywood blockbusterized it, you know, without really Roger Ebert's sentiments was the exact opposite. He was like, oh, the horror is too much. The tension is nonstop. <gasps> I left this movie and I felt bad. It, like it was just really mm-hmm. interesting. But anyway, I think also Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes, I struggled to find original reviews of this movie because most mm-hmm. of the ones that are on both of these websites were more recent. So Makes that sense. could also, I don't know how much these scores are reflective of what it, how it was received at the time. Yeah, um, versus which is now. Yeah, like I tried to do a lot of research to find reviews for this movie, but I kind of gave up because the only one I could find that was from that year was Roger Ebert, and I didn't want to do a bunch of modern reviews. Um, But anyway, before we get to Roger Ebert's review, uh, just to talk about how this movie was just kind of awarded. Uh, So it was (laughs) nominated for seven Oscars. It was nominated for Best Actress for, for Sigourney Weaver, Best Art Direction slash Set Decoration, which... Yeah, it, it deserved both of those. So, uh, so it deserved well. all of these that it was nominated, but Best Sound, Best Editing, Best Original Score, Best Visual Effects, and Best Sound Effects. It only won two out of those, which was Best Visual Effects and Best Sound Effects. Deservedly mm. so, but also I think it deserved the others. I'm also yeah, shocked that James Cameron what... was not nominated for Best Director here. Um, I find that mm. to be a bit strange, but... Uh, yeah, actually. Maybe he was I wonder... still not as respected at that but people knew him from rambo and terminator so i don't know i'd find it interesting but yeah so this movie was was recognized in terms of nominations it didn't win that many things but that's okay because uh, we all know that it's good so that's ultimately what matters this movie has stood the test of time so um yeah so to to get to roger ebert's review like i mentioned before this is the only review i was able to find that was from the time but the quote that i pulled says I don't know how else to describe this. The movie made me feel bad. It filled me with (laughs) feelings of unease and disquiet and anxiety. I walked outside and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was drained. I'm not sure aliens is what we mean by entertainment. Yet I have to be accurate about this movie. It is a superb example of filmmaking craft. So this movie was not for him, clearly. It was not made for him. Um... Well, that's fascinating because that is so different than the experience that I have watching mm-hmm, this movie. Exactly, I yeah. watch it and it energizes me. You know, I'm I'm cheering, I'm uh, celebrating when the aliens get destroyed. Um, like I, you know, even though you are watching characters who very in a very short time you've grown to love get picked off one by one, they they go out on these great hero moments, and there's a really satisfying emotional closure at the For end. Sure. And yeah, I, I walk out of this movie feeling amazing. So yeah, that's really interesting. I think this movie was just not for him. I just don't think he. I don't think he got it, and that's fine. Um, sometimes Roger Ebert's wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> or at least you know maybe he's just viewing something very different in the movie than than what we see. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how how this movie was received. I I think. 
it's really interesting to me because I think that this movie, just talking about it standing the test of time, I feel like this is a movie that I could show this to a 14-year-old in the year 2023 and they would love it. Because I think there's a lot of older movies where young kids are just like, oh, it doesn't look good or it looks fake. (laughs) It's so boring. It's too long. It's too boring. You know, because for (laughs) me, for example, when... I, I think this mm-hmm. was I think this was an honest trailer that they made back in the day or not back in the day but a few years ago for Man of Steel or something and mm-hmm. uh the the voice of the honest trailers he was talking about like oh yeah but what about the first original Superman and all the kids were like they they made pretend voices of kids but they were like so what even happens in that movie you know like <laughs> but I'm like no the first Superman movie is great so <laughs> you know uh-huh. um but kids today kids today um, to them, it's not something that's interesting. And I think that that's true for, for lots of things, unfortunately, but I think that this is a movie where I could show this to a 13 year old now and they would think it's the coolest. <laughs> they would still think <laughs> it's really, really cool. Um, and I just think that that's a really, it's a testament to, to this movie, uh, and just how yeah. well made it is. And I think certain movies, I don't know. Certain movies, when they use technology that's innovative at the time, some of them age well and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. And I think that yeah. this movie is one that's aged well. Um, the Star Wars movies have aged well. 2001 A Space Odyssey, Return Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. These are movies where they put so much thought into making the visual effects look so good that they still... I don't know if I would say they hold up, but they hold up enough that you're not completely distracted by mm-hmm. <laughs> by how fake yeah. everything looks. Yeah, yeah. You're still able to get that sense of immersion. Yeah, exactly. So Yeah. Um Well and I think too, I, I I don't Aliens was not alone in this, but I think Aliens was coming out around the time of um, you know, uh terminator one and two and mm-hmm. the indiana jones movies um i mean the star wars movies and spielberg's jaws just a little bit before this but this sort of 70s 80s into the 90s really reinventing what action movie filmmaking what totally. blockbuster filmmaking look like and so yeah. these are the movies that are setting the template that modern action blockbuster movies are based off of so there there are a lot more i think familiar and recognizable um two kids nowadays than um a movie in a similar genre that would have been made 20 30 years before aliens is coming out Mm -hmm. yeah and it's funny you saying that just reminds me i think it was in the around the first episode of this podcast when you and i were kind of introducing each other i think one of us or both of us kind of made a statement of, yeah, you know, action movies aren't typically falling into Tatum's normal, you know, list of what you watch. <laughs> and then, you know, I choose Mission Impossible, Fallout, and Aliens, so action and, movies, yeah. and all these movies. And it's just like, no, I I really enjoy action movies, but mm-hmm. it's just so many of the recent ones are just, they're not interesting to me at all. Mm-hmm. And well, Tatum's either just not visually a or story-wise or maybe it is mm-hmm. just the superhero thing. I think there's mo- action movies outside of the superhero genre yeah. that I like. Well, are you a but... fan of like, um, I don't know, Speed or... I I have you know never this... seen Speed. Fun fact. Oh, we got to do Speed. I've never seen Speed. speed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'll like it as much I as I do. I hear it's good though. I, I It rules. Yeah. yeah I hear it's good. I've seen clips of it, um, but I have not... I have not seen the whole movie, no. But I mean, I appreciate John Wick. You and I had a conversation about this. And mm-hmm. 
we'll be reviewing the first one, I think, in a few weeks, but yeah, not reviewing excited. it, but talking about it. Yeah, um, yeah. I recently, or Geneva and I both recently watched John Wick 4, and we had a conversation mm-hmm. about it, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a fun movie. I mean, I think it's very mm-hmm. stupid, which I think everyone, like, you know, it's <laughs> I mean, just, all the John Wick movies yeah, are. they're stupid, but they're. Dumb in a sense. But, but I'm like, still able to. They're so well to, made. They're so. Yeah, good. I'm still able to appreciate it and be entertained by it. So I honestly think it's just a super, you know, <laughs> superhero genre. Um <laughs> But yeah, well, just wait till uh, I make you force you to rewatch uh, Spider-Man. <laughs> Tatum is already shaking her head. Please, at me. <laughs> please don't do this. To me. Okay, Geneva and I had a conversation about this a little bit ago, and Geneva was like, "Tatum, don't pick movies just so you can hate talk about them." So I will say, Geneva, if you choose Spider-Man two, you are bringing this upon yourself because <laughs> I will hate on that movie. I, one of the premises of this podcast is that we choose our favorite movies, and Spider-Man two is one of my top ten favorite movies. So if you don't want to, I'm just saying, allow me a chance to. We can, we can, we can watch. <laughs> and talk about it I'm just saying you are inviting you're inviting what's coming you're bringing it to yourself I'm not choosing Spider-Man 2 you are so um oh gosh and yeah anyway uh I love our friendship um anyway all right uh Geneva what do we talk about next week oh wait no should we talk about what what aspects of this movie stuck with us sorry Go ahead. Uh, what what has oh, stuck with first? you? Yeah, what stuck with you? Oh. oh, wait, no, I go first. Sorry. Breaking the format. What a mess. Uh, guys, I haven't slept in weeks. We're um, doing great. I literally just finished my job like two days ago. Um, yeah, so this movie, I mean, what, what sticks with me? I mean, I I don't even know. I mean, I think... I think just the combination of the incredible action with the heart that goes mm-hmm. along with the movie. Um, I think that it's just both of those things are so, so well realized in this movie. And I think it's a perfect combination of it has fantastic, phenomenal action, but also it has the heart behind it to really, really make this movie just a, a hit out of the ballpark. Um yeah, and I'm not going to ramble on and on and just repeat things that I've said already, but I think that um, I just love how this movie combines both of those things. And because I was going to try and say, you know, all the quotes or the, or specific things that they did visually, but I'm like, no, the reason I love the quotes is because they develop the characters, which is what creates the heart. And, you know, and the reason the action has the impact that it does is because I care about the characters. So I think it's just this movie does such a good job of just combining just phenomenal action with really, really great character development and making people or creating characters that I care about because there's so many action movies that just have these ensembles and there's, you know, red shirts that are dying left and right. And I'm just like, I don't care about you. Why, you know, what's, Mm. what's the reason, (laughs) you know, the stakes here (laughs) feel like nothing because I'm not invested in this because I don't care about these people. Yeah. Um, So many action movies where there's like, oh, it's it's the team that we're going to be working together, but everyone on the team is this sort of faceless, interchangeable yeah. person apart from the, the one or two leads. Yeah, it could be you anyone, know? you know? Um, and I just, yeah, I, I really appreciate that about this movie. I think it's just, it's very well written. It's very well um, just composed and put together. And, uh, you know, it's it's... I'm really glad I watched this again, and uh, I think this needs to be a movie that I watch more often because uh, it's, man, 
it's really flipping good. <laughs> yeah. Well, a word to the wise, I was going going to rent it on Amazon, but I went ahead and bought it instead because it's only a dollar <gasps> Did you more. really? It's like five bucks on Amazon. Yeah. Nice. Was so, it I mean, was I will gentle? eventually buy it on... Was it gentle? <laughs> you know, weirdly, not a very gentle experience. <laughs> Geneva sent me a snap of her uh, buying the, or I guess buying the movie, yeah, from Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. And it has these little words that kind of describe the genre of the film. So it's like action, thriller, gentle. <laughs> and we're like, what aspect of this movie is gentle? Yeah. I don't know what weird uh, AI was. Um... Who wrote this? <laughs> picking these uh keywords but um anyway yeah um but anyway yeah all that is to say (laughs) right now as of recording it's only like five bucks on amazon so the thing that really stuck with geneva about this movie was how gentle it was (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean you you basically said everything that i that i would say you know it is such a well-crafted movie that is so fun and exciting but it also has so much heart to it and yeah, it really is the characters is the reason that I keep coming back to it. You know, it's Ripley, it's her relationships with Newt, with Hicks, with Bishop, but it's also the secondary characters and how quickly and intensely we fall in love with them and um, we cheer with them and we cry for them when they, <laughs> you know, uh, die. Um, yeah, there's just, there's so much humanity this, to this movie. Um, I really love the moments of kind of, grace that are are found in the characters as they're able to redeem themselves before they go out um or they're able to to form connections i love tracking the way that relationships change over this movie every time i watch it you know i find something a little bit different to appreciate so yeah this movie is so well made but it really is just great characterization that keeps me coming back yeah i <clears throat> i yeah i agree i agree so yeah yeah, with uh, with all of that being said, I guess that will be a conclusion to our discussion of the fantastic movie that is Aliens. Uh, mm-hmm. So, Geneva, can you tell us what fantastic movie we'll be talking about next week? Yes, yes. So, as briefly alluded to earlier in this episode, <laughs> next week we are going to be covering The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. The incredible, I think, 2006 uh, workplace comedy uh, set in the, the fa- high fashion world. By all means, please move at a glacial pace. You know how that thrills me. Florals for spring? Groundbreaking. (laughs) I must say, also as alluded to at the beginning of this episode, uh, Geneva stole this movie out from under me. This is is, uh, another movie that comes from my very short list of favorite (laughs) movies of all time. And uh, even though I'm salty that Geneva chose it. I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm yeah, glad she chose it because that way about. we get to talk about it. But we will not be choosing any more movies from Tatum's all time favorite list for a while. Because <laughs> we've we already really... done like we've okay, done yeah. we've done Mulholland Drive. Now we're doing Devil Wears Prada. We did um, Pulp Fiction. We did Pulp Fiction. And I think we did yeah, one you gotta more. Like, we got to slow gotta, down. Like, up. Yeah, we have we have not really done a whole lot from my top ten. So I, I need to I need to get I'm a move saying. on. We need to slow down because my list is a lot shorter than yours. I feel like if we're blowing through it. Yeah, um, well, we've got a, we've got a couple coming up that I'm very excited about. Yes, so. it's gonna be a good time. 
Um, all right, sweet. Well, uh, everybody, thank you for joining us for another week. And uh, we will be back next time to discuss Devil Wars Prada. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, everybody. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at yourpickpod at gmail.com. Our theme song was composed by Joel Rushton, and our podcast graphic was designed by Kara Shin. If you like this show and want to hear more, please rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. Until next time.